This is Liz Reed. This is my podcast called Liz Life Guru. I'm a practicing therapist here in Michigan. This show will focus on addiction, mental health issues from beginning to end. I am also in recovery for the past 20 years and have plenty of topics that can help you from A to Z. So let's get started. This is Liz Reed with Liz Life Guru. I read a book and I love to read, but I especially like to read about people who've been through, been, done it, and been through the same things that I have in my life. I was introduced to a man by the name of Chris Morris. He found me through my Instagram channel, offered his book for me to read, which is called We Are All Made of Scars. It is an excellent book. I finished it just this last weekend, invited him on my podcast, and I'm here to introduce him from Wisconsin, Madison, Wisconsin, Chris Morris. Good morning, Chris. How are you? I'm doing so well, Liz. How are you doing? I'm doing well. Thank you so much for joining me today. Uh, there are a bazillion things I want to talk about with this book, okay? It was a great read. You did a great job with it. Where is it now on Amazon? I know at one point it was number one. Where is it now? Yeah, thank you. Uh, I've been joking about it all week. This week, because it's kind of the anniversary, um, it was number one in alcoholism, number one in adult children of alcoholics. <laughs> and then my favorite, I was like number four or five in dysfunctional families. Something right I never thought I'd be proud of. <laughs> but. Yeah, but you know what? That is quite an accomplishment, really. It is because, you know what? You touch base on a lot of different things in this book, which I'm excited to talk about. So um, we'll, we'll get right to it. Let's get right into it. When did you decide to write the book? I decided to write the book. That's a good question. Um, probably 2015, so I mean, it was 10 years ago. Yeah. I mean, it was right when I was in the middle of uh, I started going to therapy and Al-Anon really deliberately about 12, 12 and a half years ago. And somewhere after a few years, I'm like, wow, this is all coming together. And I needed to just write about it. And that's kind of when that journey started. You know, I tell a lot of my patients, I'm a practicing psychotherapist here in Michigan, that writing is very cathartic. Pen to paper, is, I even wrote a book about this, is a great way to release pent up hostility, anger, and really see how you feel as you write. Did you ever come in contact with that? Did you ever connect with yourself as you wrote on your journey? Oh my gosh, so much. So that's one of the things in the past year I've been telling people, I'm like, if you haven't spent some time writing about, you know, your life or maybe some traumatic events, it's so cathartic. And also mm -hmm. for me, it helped me put some pieces together, like talking to my uncle and grandma, like kind of covertly, like, hey, do you remember that time this happened? Or tell me about when yeah. my mom, she's the alcoholic, was drinking, you know, when she was a kid. And they would tell me stories about my grandpa, who's an alcoholic. And it kind of helped me put this whole, you know, timeline together and also have all this compassion for my mom, as opposed to, you know, I had for decades had so much anger and resentment. And all of a sudden that really softened. So that was huge shifts in writing my story. Absolutely. Uh, we Are All Made of Scars is definitely an insight into the generational trauma of alcoholism. That was in one of your reviews, and I couldn't relate to that more. I was like, absolutely. The generational trauma that comes from having a family member who is alcoholic or addicted or um, even going through their own mental health crisis is extremely effective to you and everyone else in the family on a different level. 
all. Everybody is affected differently. You don't go into great detail into the book, and we need to get round around about this, but you don't go into great detail on how this affected your brother, which I'm not going to grill you on right now, but everybody is affected differently. I know it's that way in my family. My mother um, had some problems with alcohol for a while, and so did my stepfather, and that was a really dark time for me, and I see the trauma that it created in my own life going forward. So I would imagine that's kind of how it went for you. Oh, absolutely. And it's interesting you said about my brother because um, I was really careful writing the book because I was like, okay, this is my story. I, and I was also careful, my mom, the alcoholic, I was very careful not, you know, putting words or, or you know, trying to figure out like what she was feeling or doing. Yeah. And same with my stepdad and my and my younger brother, because I was like, that that's their story to tell. I only can mm -hmm. talk about my journey. And it was interesting because when the book came out a year ago, my brother and I had these conversations, the most meaningful, deep conversations we've ever had, because he said, wow, he's three years younger. Yeah. And he said, I had no idea that you went through all that because you know, I talk about it in the yeah. book, I would wake up early and kind of get him his breakfast and this and that. We didn't really talk about it because we we're young. And it was just mm -hmm. one of those things is like, we know what's happening. And we don't even know how to talk about it anyway. Sure. So, Absolutely. Um, Our brains aren't fully developed enough to understand exactly what we're living through, right? It becomes your new normal. Right. Exactly. I wanted to, um, as we get into this, I want to mention that you're a really smart guy, really smart guy. Like you have some great accomplishments scholastically and all of your achievements are amazing and we'll get to that. But what I, you know, you started out as a good student. Can you give us a little background on what was going on? You know, you're a good student, you were doing well in school and things were slowly starting to digress in the home. And then, you know, tell us a little bit about um, learning that your mother was actually an alcoholic or that there was something, you know, going on that you knew was not normal? Yeah, wow. That's a um, big question. Uh, yeah. And it, it's still something that I struggled with, with the shame, because being a teenager, you know, I was in honors classes and yeah. all of a sudden, um, you know, I, I'm struggling, you know, I'm dealing with my mom who's an alcoholic and things like that. So, yeah, I was always very smart and it wasn't until about middle school that I said, wait a second. Like my mom would always say, okay, hey, Chris, I'm sick. Can you run to the store and get something? Mm -hmm. Chris, I'm sick. Can you go get cigarettes? And then soon, you know, I'm 13 years old riding my bike to get wine. And that's yeah. when I was like, okay, the thing, <laughs> this is, uh, there's more going on here than um, her being, quote, sick. Mm -hmm. And that's when I really realized, okay, my mom, you know, I don't, I've heard the word alcoholic, but I'm pretty sure that's what my mom is. Um Mm -hmm. Which, yeah, has made my teenage years, um, that's what I write about. It makes it more interesting because as I talk about in the book, as my mom, as I was a teenager, she drank more, kind of delved deeper into alcoholism. That's when, you know, instead of going to school and being this great student, that's, you know, it's like, hey, I could do drugs. I have no boundaries. I could stay out. I don't, you know, stop going to school. Yeah. And ultimately ended up dropping out my senior year, which is, you know, who drops mm -hmm. out their senior year? Yeah. <laughs> Well, when it's complete chaos at home, that does happen, right? How can you focus on what you need and what's best for you when you have no parental guidance, when there's a, you know, a cluster going on at home and it's out of your control? You're a young man. You don't know what to do. So in the book, you focus on also, besides trying to ignore your mother, staying away from home, right? I think that's what a lot of oh us gosh. do. Let's get the hell away from this environment and spend most of our time out because you're a victim of neglect. You're being neglected as a child. Wouldn't you agree? 
Oh, absolutely. And it's, it's so funny to say, because just in the past two weeks, uh, a couple high school friends have reached out, read the book, and they said, oh, that's kind of why, you know, I, I would adopt my friend's families. I would just, you know, as you said, I would just escape and sleep over there every night. And thankfully, everyone that I did that with was so accommodating. And now when they read the book, they're like, oh, that's what was going on. <laughs> yep, absolutely. Yeah. And it's, you know, it's quite a different uh way of looking at your life when you're looking at it at a distance. Now, may I ask how old you are now? I'm 46. You're 46 You know, once you get 40, it's like I have to do the math. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, wait till you're 62. Anyways, moving on. Um, (laughs) You know what I love about the book also is there is an extensive amount of detail, which is great because I don't know about anybody else in this room, but uh, when I was drinking and partying, I can't remember a damn thing. (laughs) Yeah, I can barely remember half of what went on when I was in high school and stuff like that. But you have really intense detail. Do you have a great memory? I don't have a great memory. So it's so interesting because so many people have asked me about that. And yeah. I have to remind everyone that, you know, I wrote this book over the course of a couple of years. And memory is a weird thing because I would write about something and then, you know, three hours later be driving my daughter somewhere and like, oh, wait after that happened, this thing happened. And then I'd even be sleeping and memories would bubble up and, you know, I would just make notes. And over the course of a few years, it helped me just put all these things together. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah. There's no way if I sit down right now, I would be able to tell you, but it it was just all these correlations over the course of years. uh, Thankfully. Yes. It it makes it look like I have a great memory. (laughs) Yeah. It does make you look like you have a great memory. And you know, one of those things is, is when we're sleeping at night, often I have, I will tell patients to leave a pad and paper next to the bed because you'll have these epiphanies in the middle of the night and you'll say, I'll remember that in the morning and you will not, you'll completely forget it. So a lot of times that can be very helpful if you decide to write another book, which you could do a great sequel to this, by the way, on your journey out of this at the very, you know, when you decided to get help and work on your relationships and so forth it would be a great part too, just a little FYI there. So keeping a pad next to the bed, that's when you have those light bulb moments, oddly. They come when our subconscious is asleep, right? It kind of floats, it wakes oh, up in the middle of the night. Definitely, yeah. I could tell it was like my subconscious was just working all this stuff out for yeah. sure and making me remember like, hey, Chris, don't forget you you worked at Ponderosa when you're 16. I'd be like, oh my gosh, I did. And you know, and then it unlocked all these weird memories. Ponderosa. Uh, immediately write them all down. Ponderosa, that's out of the dark ages. I haven't heard that in, oh my God, so long. There used to be one in Gross Point. Yeah, a long, a hundred years ago. Oh my Lord. Anyways, so in the beginning of the book, which is great, I love how you open the book. You talk about self-harm, how you ended up um, cutting yourself to get your mother's attention. And can you tell us a little bit about what was going on right then and how you felt and what was going on with your mom and why you felt the need that, um, you know, it was a reactionary thing that you did, which you regretted later. But tell us what what was going on right then and there and where you were in your head with your mom that you decided to do that. Yeah, uh, that's a a great example of just, you know, uh, as someone who's been in Al-Anon, like the way alcoholism affects you. And I wanted to show that like right away, like, hey, this book is about my mom's drinking for sure. But look, I'm 13 years old and, you know, I'm trying to get my mom's attention. She She's on the phone talking to her friends. Gosh darn it. I have to call this girl from my, you know, from school that I'm really, you know, into. Mm-hmm. And my mom's just drinking, not listening. And it's like, how do I get her attention? So I think at the dining room at the time, I just took a steak knife and I was like, you know what, I'm going to 
get her attention by, you know, carving a couple little lines in my wrist. And Mm -hmm. that worked. But of course, the next day, uh, either by manipulation or by um, control or, you know, maybe rightly so. Maybe I did need some help. She sent me to the the psych ward, which I was in for Mm -hmm. a couple weeks. Yeah. And that's how the book starts. Just that. And, you know, I was definitely feeling obviously reckless and upset because that was at the point I was truly in hindsight you know I knew my mom was an alcoholic but it's like no one talked about it no one knew what to do I certainly didn't know what to do so mm-hmm. it's just like let me act out mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. yeah and that's what a lot of uh, young adults children will do is act out because we don't have the capability to um, express our feelings or and we also don't have the ability to tell our mom it quit drinking quit smoking Quit monopolizing the phone. Do you understand I'm in pain here? Do you understand what I'm going through? So it looks like through reading the book that when you were going through this pain with your mom and worrying about her alcohol, you had a stepfather that was basically absent, right? He traveled a lot. Yeah, it was so interesting because I learned so much about my stepfather writing the book. I mean, he, uh, a little background. So my mom, you know, my dad and my mom divorced when I was five. And mm-hmm. then, you know, my mom bounced around a little bit. Eventually, met my stepdad. He had this, you know, kind of suburban uh, lifestyle south of Chicago. That's where we lived. And that was really the environment where my mom all of a sudden didn't have to work. She could be home. My dad, my stepdad's working. And she had the perfect environment to like, oh, now my drinking can really take over. And that's when things got bad. And my stepdad, I think, uh, at first was like, okay, you know, let's send her to rehab. And, you know, she would come home from rehab, be fine for a few weeks, drink, go to rehab. And it became mm-hmm. the cycle where, you know, it was like a month in rehab, home, rehab, home. And then eventually he just was like, hey, I don't know how to do it. I don't have the tools or emotional intelligence to deal with this. Mm-hmm. I'm going <laughs> to, he took it. I'm laughing because in hindsight, was, this is so wild. He just said, I'm going to take a job where I'm not home as much and yeah. <laughs> not have to deal with this. Yeah. And all of a sudden I have to deal with it. And then, you know, I'm 16 years old um, having to figure out what to do. Was your mother's drinking a problem before your parents divorced or did this come to fruition after she remarried? It's a great question because I, I think, you know, as a child, I knew something was up. Like, for example, and I talk about this in the book, when my parents got divorced, we moved back down to Charleston, which is southern Illinois. And my mom, similar to when I was a little older, she'd say, hey, Chris, I'm not feeling well. Could you run to the grocery store and get some milk and things like that? And, you know, at the time I was like, oh, this is cool. I'm like Huck Finn, my favorite literary hero. And I get to, you know, go on these adventures all by myself. Uh, But then later on, I'm like, wait a second. She was drinking during that time. And Uh so I think it was my parents' divorce that catapulted things. Mm -hmm. And then when her, her dad died, who was a severe alcoholic, when I was about 13, that was, I feel like, being in an environment where she could, you know, have no rules, the comfort of home, mm-hmm. she can drink all day. And then her dad dying, who, you know, she'd had this fraught relationship with and never really come to terms with his alcoholism. Uh, yeah, she just got pushed over the edge. Mm-hmm. And not to mention having a partner that had no idea what to, to do in the situation. And I think that a lot of people don't know what to do. You know, there's two kids at home. Um, you know, a, a lot of people are real confused on what to do in these situations because arguing... And fighting about it doesn't seem to help. You have to want to get sober, as as you know. You know, you have to want to get better. Um, One of the things that I thought was really interesting that pertained to me as I was reading your book, um, my stepfather was a severe, severe alcoholic. And every time your mom would go to rehab, 
and then come back. You'd be waiting with bated breath for them to fall off the wagon again, right? And because right, of that, right. yeah, because of that, it was almost better if they kept drinking. I, I know that sounds strange, but the disappointment, the horrible disappointment, I was wondering if you felt that every time. I remember looking at my stepfather and saying, he's blasted. Oh, my God. He just got out of rehab like three weeks ago. And it would just hurt me and devastate me so badly. I, at, at times I would say, I just, you know, just keep drinking so I'm not let down again. Did you ever feel like that? Mm. Yeah, as you were just saying, man, I get goosebumps because that feeling of, especially at that age, you know, I'm 15, 16, you want nothing more in suburban Chicago to just fit in and be cool. And my mom, when she was sober, that was the hardest thing is she was the cool mom. She was good looking. She was friendly. She was chatty. My yeah. friends, if they did come over, would always be like, oh, wow, your mom is so cool. And I'd always be like, yeah, <laughs> she is mm -hmm. now. Mm -hmm. But yeah, and it would just made the disappointment so much harder when, yeah, you know, we'd have my friends over, it'd be great. The next day she's passed out at the bottom of the stairs. And it's like, hmm, yeah, that dichotomy mm -hmm. at 15 is just like, I, I can't deal with this. Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah. It's, it's creates a tremendous amount of sadness within you. Mm. Um, it's yeah. this sad, horrible, dark feeling. And then there's nothing worse than being woken up in the middle of the night to the fighting. Um, you know, your parents right. fighting, your stepdad fighting. Uh, I know that went on in my house and it just creates a, this creates the model for a state of an, an anxiety disorder as you get older. And we often wonder, you know, mm -hmm. where does this come from? Well, a lot of it, 50% of it comes biologically and the other 50% comes from the situation we find ourselves in and how we were raised. And I noticed that you did say in the book, even my sober mom was sad, right? When she was sober, she was still battling something. Is that accurate? Oh, that's so accurate. Yeah. And she would talk about it. And I, I understand it more now, but at the time, even when she's sober, she'd say, ah, I don't feel well and stuff. And now I'm like, oh, she's going through these, you know, she would binge drink so hard. And when she was sober, I think she just, she didn't feel in her body and she didn't know what to do with herself. And yeah. I get that now, having been to so many open AA meetings and hearing people's stories, she just was like, you know, who am I? What am I supposed to be doing? Mm -hmm. She had no one in her life to really support her in the way that she needed either. Mm -hmm. um, so mm -hmm. I have a lot of sympathy and empathy for her now. But at the time, I was just like, what, you know, just confused. Yeah. And I, and uh, another thing is, is that, you know, maybe she was suffering from depression. Maybe she, Ooh, you know, that's absolutely. kind of the, the chicken or the egg thing that I talk about on my podcast a lot is, you know, um, we never know if the drinking or the drugs came from, uh, some outside source or from a Band-Aid to a mental health issue that somebody's going through. Um, definitely, yeah. you know, she could have been suffering from uh, depression at the time and it was oh, untreated. Oh, absolutely. Mm-hmm. That's absolutely, very, yeah. Very and she was, yeah, she was, I mean, I know, like I said, she was super, she never really recovered from her dad dying, who was mm -hmm. an alcoholic. Mm -hmm. And, you know, the relationship with my stepdad was not a super harmonious one. Yeah. Um, you know, and she had two kids that she didn't really know what to do with. My dad mm -hmm. wasn't there all the time. So, I mean, yeah, she was absolutely suffering. And I know and that, that, yeah, absolutely. And I know that you said, um, I miss talking to my mom, not at her. That was mm. really poignant for me. Can you tell us a little bit about what that meant to you? Well, yeah, just kind of what we were talking about. I mean, because 
just of her state all the time, we there wasn't a lot of conversations. It was it became, you know, hey mom, like you know, uh, what have you eaten today? You know, or me mm-hmm. just kind of monologuing at her all the time, basically telling her what to do because she was just so, you know, out of control. And you know, yeah. it's mm-hmm. like I, I miss the sober mom, or would, you know, she'd be like, "How was school? You know, tell me about that girl you like." And sure. Pretty soon, it's just me barking like, hey, you know, how much have you drank today? What's going on? You know, where's my brother? <laughs> sure, sure, uh. sure. Absolutely. And I, and you also say, you know, your mom was part zombie as the, as the mm-hmm. ex, ex, escalation of her alcoholism. And that, it, you know, when you're a young child and you're trying to figure out what's going on in your home and uh, your mom is just going through the motions, barely, uh, that's a frightening prospect. Where, where where was your brother so, while you were while you were you know at friends' homes and things like that? Was his did he go to your dad's or what what happened there? Yeah, it was very similar. Uh, just talking to him again a year ago because I kind of was like, you know, I never really uh, checked in with you because I was just you know, of course, again, I'm a freshman in high school. I'm over sure. my friends. I'm not thinking <laughs> too much about my brother. But he ultimately did the same thing. He you know was li- basically living at his friend's house a lot of the time. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. Which I totally understand. <laughs> yeah, because you just want to get out of the environment. Right. Absolutely. Right. So when you're, when you're stepdad, this was probably a turning point for you. Is it, would you say this is probably when your grades got started getting worse? When, you, when your stepdad literally said to you, you're going to have to take mom to rehab. Oh, yeah. That was the turning point, which I put in the book. I mean, um, it was probably right around the time. Yeah, I got, you know, you get so excited to finally have my driver's license. I'm free. I could go out and drive around, go to the mall, see girls, all the things 16-year-olds want to do. And pretty immediately, my stepdad's like, oh, it's your turn now. Like, mm-hmm. you have to take her to rehab. So I talk about that in the book and have certainly worked through this a lot in EMDR. <laughs> all of the experiences mm-hmm. of taking my drunk mom to the ER and negotiating with her and the nurses to try to check herself in to rehab. Um, and uh, yeah, that, those are some fraught, hard memories. And that was definitely the turning point. You know, I'm, I'm sitting with my mom in the ER thinking, gosh, all my friends are sitting playing Nintendo, doing their homework, yeah. you know, renting videos as they do at the time. And I'm sitting here with my mom trying to talk her into rehab for the upteenth time. Mm-hmm. Um, so mm-hmm. yeah, hard times. Well, those are, you know, those are instant grow up. It's time for you to instantly become a man or, you know, you're dealing with adult problems with a 16 year old brain. Um, how, how does right. somebody in after the, uh, that type of trauma go back to English class and make posters for the high school homecoming dance? You know, I mean, <laughs> right. It's like, yeah, no, it creates a huge, huge rift. I, and I talk about it in the book. I, there's one moment that encapsulates it for me where I wake up in the morning, my mom has passed out at the bottom of the stairs, you know, from the whole night of binge drinking. I have to, you know, drag her to her room, change her clothes because she, you know, mm-hmm. uh, peed herself basically, yeah. and then walk to school. And I'll never forget this girl um, <laughs> next to me, her locker. And I'm sitting there with all this kind of just resentment and like, gosh, life is so unfair. And she's like, ah. Guys, you wouldn't believe my dad didn't even give me gas money today. And I'm just like <laughs> the rift between some of these kids and me like could not be wider. Sure. I was just, yeah. Such a turning point of me. Like, okay, I don't I'm living a whole different life over here. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and you know, I think that that when I was reading about the rage you took out on Lucas, 
when you got in that fight with Lucas, was that a lot of pent up? This is one of your buddies, right? Or a friend that you had through school that you ended up getting in a fight yeah. with? What happened there? <laughs> yeah, I go into great detail about this fight because it was so, so interesting where I was dating this uh, girl in high school and, you know, it was classic high school stuff. It was like someone liked wait, her and I got wait a jealous. You, wait a minute, Chris, I got to interject. You dated a lot of girls yeah. in high school. <laughs> <laughs> I did. I, and I talk about that and I find, you know, I was very girl crazy. And now as an adult, I'm like, oh, geez, maybe I was looking for love and affection because you I was sure not were. getting that from yep. anyone. So Absolutely. that's my, that's Sorry my rationale. Interrupt. I for, get it. I get no, it. No, you're not the first person who's read the book. Like, wow, you're pretty girl crazy. And I was like, well, first of all, as a teenager, second of all, I was filling some deep hole <laughs> yes. in my, myself. Exactly. But, uh, no, I was deep. Dating this girl and someone, uh, I, I can't even remember. So, yeah, liked her, got in a big fight of like, hey, you know, what are you doing? Hitting on my girlfriend, all this stuff, and had this fight after school. And it was like the classic thing, like in the back of the parking lot, surrounded by kids. <laughs> yep. Um, and uh, I had never been in a fight before, super nervous. But, of course, you got to put on the brave face. And I won the fight, and they thought like I had – brass knuckles on under my gloves and it became this whole thing. Like yeah. all of a sudden there's like gangs going around, going around my house. And yeah, it was just kind of like, what is happening? Yeah. I think I was taking out some rage of just, you know, things starting to turn in my, my life. But also it's interesting because that's a point when my mom, she, I think she was sober then. Cause I remember coming home and I had a black eye and she's like, Oh, what happened? And I told her and she's like, let me help you. And she taught me how to put concealer over my black eye. And we had this beautiful <laughs> little moment. Um, you know, so it's sure. like one of those times when she could be the sweet, caring maternal figure. Yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> when I needed it. God love her. Uh, you know, it's, my heart goes out for everybody that you wrote about in the book because everybody's suffering. If your mother had her druthers, if she could have chose a life that was alcohol-free, she would have done it. Thank you so much, Chris Morris, the author of the memoir, We Are All Made of Scars. We will be continuing this long conversation and excellent review of his book, We Are All Made of Scars, in our next episode. Thank you for joining us, Chris. The information in this podcast is for educational purposes only and is not meant to replace treatment or diagnosis by a qualified mental health professional. 